look at these goats. So our reading is going to be in the first 10 verses and then a few verses from Hebrews 9 to see the, the parallel here. So Leviticus 16, and we'll be getting at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a, sac as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. And then down to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And if you could turn to the New Testament, Hebrews 9 Verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews 9 retraces in summary fashion what Aaron just did, right? So he's, the writer here is talking about Aaron taking what is 
that goat into the entrance of the holy place, which is a pattern after the true holy of holies, which is the presence of God in heaven. And then in verse 10, it says, in verses 9 and 10, it says, but this cannot perfect the conscience. And then in verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And the Lord will bless the reading of his word. We have a lot of a lot of description there, um, and we didn't even read all of it. Uh, there's a lot of details. There are actually many sacrifices that Aaron is performing on this particular day, but our attention this evening is going to just focus on two goats. But before we do that, I want to kind of take a step back so that we all understand really the beauty of this particular day. The people who were hearing these instructions for the first time had, have received the word of God through Moses all the way back to Genesis 1, right? So they're hearing about how the God whom they are worshiping, the God who has redeemed them is the God who created. And, and they've heard again and afresh this, this story of Adam and Eve dwelling in that holy place of Eden, that sanctuary there where they enjoyed communion with God. And you remember that when they sinned, they were expelled and they were driven eastward, right? And we have that famous phrase, east of Eden. And, and that direction is very important as we see the events and the drama of the Day of Atonement because to go west in the Old Testament, right, for Israel would be to move toward God. To go east would be to move away from God. This is what we see in Eden. We see when Cain went away from God to the land of Nod, that was east of Eden. When Lot and Abraham separated, Lot took the land that was east and went to Sodom. And all of these pictures have this drama in the mind of Israel that, okay, to be, to be westward is to be in the presence of God, to be eastward is to depart, and the, the direction of the tabernacle was east-west. So if you were to walk into the tabernacle facing toward the Holy of Holies, you're moving westward, right? And so this is going to be very important when we get to the second goat, and that goat is sent away and there's a reason why one of our most popular assurances of pardon is that he has set your sins as far as the east is from the west, right? And so all of that is bound up in this drama and the direction here of what is happening. As Aaron 
moves westward into that holy of holies, there's a sacrifice at almost every step of the way that he has to make for himself. But then we go into the holy of holies and those first nine verses of Hebrews 9 describe again the furniture of the holy place. Now, we don't have time to walk through all of the furniture of the tabernacle, but for our purposes tonight, we need to remember that there is only one piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a box. It was a big box with several things in it. And each aspect of this box pictures something about Jesus, right? And so we can look in this box, and it's, it's overlaid with gold. And so as you come near to this, Aaron would have been very conscious that he's coming, right? Here's this, here's this Ark of the Covenant, this visible representation of God's presence that he's coming before a king, a, a sovereign king of, of which there is no, no end of this majesty and this gold and this beauty and this splendor portrays that. And then over this box, you have the cherubim. And this highlights, again, the holiness of God. And, and we know how the cherubim have already been used or functioned in Genesis, right? Remember, it was the cherubim that God places at the entrance of Eden. No one could enter into that presence, that sanctuary on their own ever again. Though the, These cherubs are guarding that holiness. And here, it's magnifying the holiness of God. But then inside the box, you have the manna, a pot of manna, and then you have Aaron's rod, his, the, the staff that blooms, right? And so both of these speak of God's provision, right? God provides your daily needs. He provides your sustenance, and that's displayed in the manna. But that but that staff of Aaron, that bloom, that blossom, right, that is a reminder that God is the one who provides the priest. God is the one who appoints the priest. If you remember in Numbers 16 and 17, right, you have the sons of Korah. They are of the tribe of Levi, but they weren't priests, right? But the, but the sons of but Korah and his people, they stand up and they begin to rebel and they grumble, and they tell Moses, you know, you're, you're power hungry. You and Aaron are just in it for yourselves. We're all holy. We all have the right to be doing this. And so God judges Korah, right? But you remember all of the heads of the tribes, they put their staffs, their staffs out, right? And God says, the one who blooms in the morning right? That's my appointed person. And it was Aaron, right? So it's, and so here, this staff inside the box is that constant perpetual reminder that God has an appointed mediator, an appointed mediator that is before him at all times. And this is what I, I want us to see here, right? So only the high priest could go into this holy of holies one time a year but that box was there every day. 
that Ark of the Covenant was before the presence of God every day. And there is then before God's presence, invisible to the eyes of the people, a mediator. And so it is today. We do not see what's taking place at God's right hand. But we know that there is a mediator there. There is one who ever lives to make intercession for you there. There is one that you can't see with the physical eye, but he's always there. And John is going to, to draw our attention to this when he says, but when you sin, you have an advocate. The man Christ Jesus, he's there. There's never one moment in our lives here that there is not that if I could say, Godward-facing mediator in the person of his son, interceding and living for you even now. And all of this points to that. And then finally, the last piece of this box, and this is very important for the ritual of the Day of Atonement, and that is the lid, uh, the mercy seat over, over this box there is the lid, and that's important because there's also the law that's inside the box. And if, you see, if that law is in the box with no lid, we all stand condemned. But there's a lid there. There's, the, there's an atoning lid that, that says there's a way. There is a way into my presence. There's a way that you can come, and it will be on that lid that the blood is sprinkled, right? And Paul is going to pick up on this in Romans when he says that Christ has been set forth to be a propitiation for our sins, right? So what Paul's saying is Christ is presented, Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of Leviticus 16, that's this word, mercy seat. So you could say, God has set Christ forward to be the mercy seat. He is, if I could say, the lid. He is the one that en enables us to come into the presence of God. And all of these things picture Jesus in some way. And so with all of that now, in in the mind, the direction of the tabernacle, the furniture in the Holy of Holies, we come now to the two goats. We looked at Aaron last week, but now we come to these two goats, and, and Aaron was asked to, to get among the people two goats. These would have been prime, pristine goats and set them before the Lord. One was going to be an offering for the Lord, and the other one was going to be for what's called Azazel. Aaron did not get to choose which was which. It says, take lots, and the Lord appoints the one for himself, for the sin offering, and then the one that will be sent away. And so what we see here, goat number one, the goat of the sin offering. This is the goat of satisfaction. Really big word. 
children, I know you love polysyllabic words. Here's, a, here's a f- one with five. Propitiation. It means something with four syllables. Satisfaction. So there you go. With two words, nine syllables, run with it. What this means is that God is holy. God is just. If there is to be any approach to him, his holiness, that the, the rebellion against him, all that needs to be satisfied. And that's what goat number one does. And so Aaron takes this goat and he puts his hand on the head of the goat. And there's this picture of the transfer of the sins of the people onto this goat. And this teaches us substitution. And so it is this great, this great declaration, innocent for the guilty. And that's at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this goat then is sacrificed. And Aaron, now having already offered sacrifices for himself, enabling him to enter into the Holy of Holies, he goes back there behind the veil. And no one can see this but God. And he sprinkles this blood on the mercy seat. He sprinkles that blood, and that is accepted by God. And so we have here this wonderful, wonderful reality that someone else satisfies the wrath of God for our sake. Now, Again, Israel knew that it wasn't that goat that ultimately did that because they also had Genesis 3.15. They knew that the coming redeemer needed to be a seed of the woman. It wasn't seed of a goat. So they knew that this goat was a picture. And so you have the picture and then it points to something. And this beautifully points to that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you see here the the glory of Jesus Christ and, and who he is as that lamb. He is one who, as Hebrews says, is so pure and so spotless and so pristine that he did not have to first offer a sacrifice for himself. He had to go through all of the steps that Aaron the high priest did. But he, as the high priest, amazingly becomes the sacrifice. He is both priest and lamb. He is the one who is the sin bearer. He's the one, again, if we take this picture, it's as though our hands being placed on him. All of our rebellion. And throughout 16, Moses is going to use different words for sin. So all of, our, all of our actions that are against God, all of our selfish motives that place us on the throne and we de-God God, all of that, all of our selfishness, all of our pride, all of our lack of love toward others, all of our insults, all of our mockery of others, and all that we could think of. 
placed upon Christ. And there at Calvary, he goes as the Lamb of God. And we have, as John records in his gospel in Mark, you have the timing, the first three hours, that's Christ on the cross visible. You see the mockings, you see the tauntings, you see the scourgings. But then come noon, we have Christ on the cross in the dark. There, undergoing the hell and soul. And from there we hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But also from there, we hear it is finished. Something that never could have been said on the Day of the Atonement. This was every year, every year, every year, every year. But on that ultimate Passover day, Christ from Calvary cries out, it is finished, and there will be no more sacrifice. He paid it all. But that's not all we see in picture here. We also have goat number two. Another big word, only four syllables, expiation. This is the removal. And, th and these go together, right? If, if God's wrath has been satisfied and he is appeased against your sin, what then happened to the sin? It's removed. And this is beautifully pictured in goat number two. Now, it has this odd phrase, into the wilderness to Azazel. There's many different interpretations of what Azazel is. Some say it is a demon. So here's this goat going out to the devil. Kind of he gets his due. I don't think that fits theologically. Others, it's, some say, well, it, it's just a word that describes wilderness, Others say it's just a word that means the goat that got away, where we get scapegoat, right? I don't think it's really important that we know the etymology of the word. The picture is what Moses is wanting us to see. So he takes this goat number two, having come out of the Holy of Holies, the, 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 the wrath of God as it were being satisfied, he comes out now, he takes this goat and goes through the same motions, his hands on the head of goat number two, again, this transfer of sins, and then this goat is sent away, eastward, out from the assembly, never to come back again. Goat number two, I would guess, was providentially guaranteed to never turn back around. It could never come back. So here's this picture. All of Israel, right, they're standing outside at the tabernacle. They're watching this, and here's this goat 
that goes that just goes away. And they know what the picture is. Our sins are gone. Not because of that, but by looking at the point. And so it is with us. And this is probably one of the hardest aspects of the atonement for us to, if I could say, experientially grasp. Look in your own relationships. Someone that you deeply love, they wrong you and they say, I'm sorry. And you say, I forgive you. And you know how easy it is to bring that back up. Right? We, we know that. We, we don't want to. I, I think sincerely we genuinely want to forgive, but it comes back. And here's all of our sin. All of it. And God refuses to bring it up. So we remember. Our consciences remember it. Satan tempts us to despair. He remembers some of it. But there's one party in all of this who doesn't. And God sovereignly chooses and mercifully and graciously chooses to not bring this back up again. If we could grasp what it truly is that God not only has been satisfied and his wrath appeased for us, but that he really, truly, in Christ, forgives your sin and remembers it no more. So if you look directionally this way, it is as far as the east is from the west. But then I believe it's Micah who tells us, well, but if you want to look at it this way, I got one for you too. If God is up there in glory, and the true holy of holies, you want to know where your sin is, it's buried to the depths of the sea. And where are you? You are in his presence. Here's one big difference between the drama of Leviticus 16 and the reality of what Hebrews 9 describes. Aaron had to sacrifice for himself to go into the holy place and not another soul could go in. Jesus, he goes into the true holy of holies. He tears down the veil and he opens it up wide and says, you all come with me. And now where is it that we go? Anytime you have a need, Jesus Christ, the man, has passed through the veil and says, you too can come and find grace and help in time of need. Where are you even now spiritually? And we've talked about this over and over, but you are already there. You are where Christ is, and you can't be anywhere else. 
This is your union with him, that throne union you have, that right now, spiritually speaking, you are in the holy of holies. Now, the only way that you can be there is if all sin and pollution is gone. So there's your confidence. There's your assurance. And so that now here, you hear the Christ is with you here through his spirit. And he's bringing you home. Like I say, we're all moving westward. The east is still pulling at us, right? The temptations, the pull, the, the longing for it to be our way. But Christ, right? Remember, Christ is our anchor, that anchor of the soul. And he's latched there and he's pulling us in toward him. We're not pulling the anchor. He's pulling us. And the confidence that you can have now is that truly all of your sins are gone, forgiven. And they end with a line of an Isaac Watts hymn. That's not one of his famous, but it should be. He says this, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sin away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. My faith would lay her hand on that dear head of thine, while like a penitent I stand and there confess my sin. My soul looks back to see the burden thou didst bear when hanging on the accursed tree and knows her guilt was there. Believing, we rejoice to see the curse removed. We bless the lamb with cheerful voice and sing his bleeding love. Praise God for the lamb.